I'm thinking like 2030 in terms of like success and being a DJ in Sydney doesn't equal Oprah, Oprah coins. It equals local DJ in Sydney coins. And I was like, what does this look like in 30 years? So I was kind of like, what do you do? What can you monetize? And I think I learned early on from working in PR and you know, how many sort of silly mistakes you make f to work with people who have clout, like how much people will throw money at you just because they have, a, you have a perceived value. And so it's like, what about me is valuable? Like what are people, you know, latching themselves onto? And I was like, let's add a slash today. You know, I want to be a fashion blogger. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wake up. We're going to take photos of my outfit. I'm going to promote myself as a fashion blogger. Takes off. Brands start sending me clothes and stuff. Why? Because I perceived my value. But also at that point, I'm undermining every other real fashion blogger. But what is reality? Not my problem, you know? Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast for frustrated creatives. How do you turn what you love into what you do? Each week, I chat to a different creative about how they found a way to monetize their passions. Here at Quit Your Day Job, we believe that the pursuit of what you love is just a process, and one that is available to anyone. So what are you waiting for? The journey to becoming more connected to who you are and what you do starts now. Lillian Ahen, aka DJ Flex Mummy, is a DJ, a content creator, and an influencer. She's a social media genius. She's come from a background working in PR to realizing that she may as well just use her skills that she's applied to brands on behalf of influencers for herself and has launched and continued to reinvent her own career, leveraging off her self-identified USPs and boldly going after the sort of opportunities that she once helped create for other influencers. Flex has been that frustrated creative working in a firm but feeling like she wanted more. And what she'd forged for herself in only a few years is pretty inspiring. One of my biggest takeaways from talking to Flex is that it's all about your mindset. This is a great episode for anyone who's looking to build a profile, leverage their skills into an income stream by partnering with brands, and more than anything about bracing yourself with the right attitude and self-belief to make the most of the myriad opportunities that are out there in this wild west of influencer marketing. Before we get down to the interview, if you like this show, can you please do what you can to spread the love? Could you write a review and rate it on iTunes? Could you share it to your Facebook page? Could you screen capture it and post it to your Instagram stories? Or could you simply share it via text with someone who may find it inspiring? And now, here's my chat with the force of nature that is DJ Flex Mommy. So Flex, or Lil, thank you for having a chat. <laughs> my pleasure. The whole purpose of this podcast is to talk to different creative friends about how they've turned what they love into a career. But I was really excited to talk to you because I always had so many questions around your process because we've been working together a bit recently on the junkie series but i've been saving them up for this conversation <laughs> so i'm excited but i always like to start by saying to someone 
when someone says, what do you do? Mm. What do you tell them? I say I'm a DJ first, just because it is the easiest to explain. So a DJ, TV presenter and content creator. That's how I've managed to distill it. Because it used to be like, and then I did this and radio presenting and then writing and then and just like, no. Creates content, DJs and presented MTV. And also the being a content creator is great because it has, it can reference so many different outputs. Yeah, all encompassing. And, this, and these days people are less blocked by the idea that you can do multiple things simultaneously mm. because for the last little while it's been necessary. Yeah. How does your content output look at the moment? Okay, so I guess first thing is beauty video. So I work with three or four different um, beauty companies like Maybelline, Rimmel to literally sit in front of the camera and create makeup videos, submit it. They use it for whatever they like to do. So that's one set of it. Then I interview musicians and rappers and things for different music labels like Sony and EMI and Universal. So that it's getting on the phone with them chatting, transcribing, creating a story, and that's all beautiful. And that lives in the written word? That lives in the written word. And then I create uh, sort of a music talkback series via Facebook with the interns, which is like a Australian-based music publication. We talk about music and pop culture, and that's visual and video. So that's you having a chat about culture. Yeah, pop culture and music. So oh. all those little things that come up in on the news that you know you feel like you need to talk to someone about, but nobody wants to listen. That's where we discuss that. Then I also do. That's my radio. life, by the way. Pretty much, and I feel like that's one of those things that you just want to monetize because it's like you invest so much time getting across pop culture that you're kind of like, this needs to manifest into something that'll keep me going. And usually that's money, but if not, then likes will do. <laughs> and so the way that that interns project is, mm. are they producing that, or are you setting up that conversation and turning it into a Facebook? Uh, yeah, piece? so we set up together. So we, you know, chat and like liaise about what we want to discuss. Then we go into a studio, set up our own cameras, mics, a green screen, edit it together, or he might do one and I might do one, and then publish it via Facebook. And it's just a way to kind of, I guess, what we found through, I guess, life as content creators working in media is that, you know, you want to be able to have those bigger opportunities, like interviewing the biggest artists and the best people, but people don't want to take chances on the concept and so this is just us proving that we have the knowledge and the skills necessary to do these things so later on when those opportunities exist we're like hey here is our online resume of things that we've done please hire us <laughs> it is amazing that you've just cut straight to the marrow of something so not necessarily obvious but in plain sight mm -hmm. as a way to do the thing you love to do yeah in order to be paid for something these days it actually really helps to just do it mm. to prove the concept because let's face it business is risk averse by nature so therefore there's no better excuse to sign off on something than the to prove that it already works before we move on to the how is that all of your outputs at the moment or do you have more <laughs> is that it <laughs> so I, I i write i interview i do beauty videos i have a youtube channel where i vlog i dj create content with MTV. Yeah, that, that yeah. That's about a, a creative life. I guess, I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of taking it easy at the moment. Okay, so where do I begin? Where did you begin? This is, you know, how, how, don't mind me asking, how mm, old are you? 23. See? Is that a touchy, I like, think it's touchy for a lot of people, I don't know. I, as a 35 year old, just hate the idea of it because mm. I think, you know, if I, if I was coming up 
in my early 20s at a time when technology was as democratized as it is now, I would have felt a lot more in charge. Mm. But I think the difference between that crucial decade, because you're sort of my sister's age, and she just looked at what I was doing as someone 10 years older than her and even in her early teens was like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I'm a photographer. Like, I'm, you know, there was just no question around her being allowed to give it a go or call herself that because she was like, well, I've seen how it works and it's easy. Like, we've got the reference, we've got the technology, I've got the internet for any questions I may have around technique. Yeah. Um, that, That was that big difference and I, you know, have always been someone with a large scope of friends that, 20 years older than me, 20 years younger than me, mm. but I'm really, someone who's smack bang between two generations, like, oh, that's the difference mm. between knowing that you can and having to ask someone's permission if you can. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because the other day I made a, I'm trying to use my social platforms for less superficial content and it's very difficult. So the other day I used my Instagram stories to just start conversations and I asked people, what's the difference between someone who just actions something, has the physical ability to do, to do something, might be well or might be average and someone who's worthy of a title. So what's the difference between a photographer and someone who takes photos really, really well? And what's the difference between, you know, um, a DJ and somebody who can use the equipment you know is there a difference and and who makes who gives you that title you know some people said it was ego and confident you know if you say it and you believe it who's going to tell you otherwise some people said it was experience you know that dictates whether or not and some people said it was profession like you needed to study it to have a title but you know if let's say the sample size of like 3,000 people couldn't come to a distinct or distilled idea of who's worthy of it that just proves to me that it doesn't matter you know I think it's all a big perception game. Mm. And the more that I'm in the professional space as someone who's got a company that makes content, that sells that content to brands, and then you realize that they're all bluffing, the people who are signing off on the big dollar figures are themselves kind of hustlers. Mm. It was really empowering as a junior coming up in the space to be like, well, if you guys have no idea what's going on and you're all hustling and I kind of know what I'm doing, I'm actually kind of more entitled to this piece of the pie than you guys even are. I think that's the number one thing that young people have realized. Mm-hmm. They're almost like, I don't need to wait for you to tell me. I mean, sure, I'd like you to pay me for what I'm doing, but I don't actually need you to f- agree that I'm allowed to do the thing mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it either with you or without you. Done the thing. <laughs> so one thing that I noticed from my because you and I have worked together for a few months we've been making a four part documentary series for Junkie I'm going to post episodes of that so you can see the fruits of our labour alongside these this post but in that time I've observed unlike a lot of my other friends who have creative aspirations you're a doer mm. and you're also a self made doer in that you've learnt everything you need to know enough to do the thing mm. yourself but there's also an, an additional layer of awareness around bigger picture thinking to do with and my most capable friends do this really well compartmentalizing a huge picture into very achievable parts so that you can actually move within a space just by targeting specific things and you seem to know social and content really well innately Mm. did you learn that somewhere along the way yeah i guess so i think well Surprisingly, I didn't, I was never like, 
intrinsically internet savvy it just wasn't my interest to be a content creator i just used to consume so i was that person who had an instagram but didn't post anything just followed a ton of people or um used to use the internet just to like gather information and then get off it like it wasn't something that i was glued to constantly and so i started working in pr uh, and social media and then eventually realized that there's this currency that exists on the internet and I think that you know the people who manage to make it a viable career are those who realize the internet isn't a separate entity to the real world it is the real world if not more valuable than this sort of thing that we perceive to be the real world so what I mean by that is you know for instance like this podcast let's say this conversation between us two it's valuable and we're being nourished by it but if you didn't record this and put it on social media and reach the hundreds thousands tens of thousands of people reach afterwards then isn't that more valuable than what we're doing right here you know it took me a while to get to that point and so after I so looking in on the internet and realizing that I didn't have value for it and then finding out what the value was made me perceive it in a way that was so much greater than the average content creator because I could see the end result and I could see it's almost more interesting to see how somebody who has no interest values something they don't understand so you know when you have some when you explain your job to someone who doesn't know what you do and what they pull out to be the most interesting bits are the things that you should be focusing in on so I was like whoa 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 so you're saying that like People on the internet don't have to work real jobs and they can sustain life from that. Okay, so that's interesting to me. So you're saying that I don't necessarily need to go to uni and I can make this a career. Okay, that's interesting to me. And so using that kind of framework set me up from when I decided I wanted to be a content creator because it wasn't like I was just like dilly-dallying and just getting a feel for it. I knew exactly what it needed to look and feel and be. I just need to find the skills to do it. Was that knowing around how you felt it should be based on that period of gathering inspiration as a consumer? I think it was more knowing what things were uh, sparking my interest because for any, for, you know, lack of better judgment, like everybody has opinions on what the internet should be like. But I was thinking about those little factors that really pulled me into it. So it's like, well, the difference between like, you know, a picture that's beautifully crisp and has amazing clarity to something taken on a shitty phone, like that matters, but I couldn't figure out like what the difference was. It's like, that did that happen on a phone? No, Lil, didn't happen on a phone. That was a professional camera and lighting and then put onto a phone. See, that was interesting to me. Or the idea of like building a like-minded audience. What there's like, I can have people who like what I like and we can like, build a friendship over that like that's really amazing because living in a space where I feel like I can really relate to people but I don't feel like I can identify with other people that's really interesting because I'm like well all of you get where I'm coming from that's crazy and so you know once I figured that out it was really almost disorienting actually like being a content creator and realizing like that's not that easy like the things that I was drawn to are the hardest parts of the internet or being a content creator or living on social media like creating really beautiful content is hard like you know trying to communicate to an audience and be concise and funny and uh, educational and measured is hard <laughs> but also it's the most valuable things about it why do you think well what were the things that initially drew you in once you started to yeah. identify what you wanted to be making based on what you were really inspired by mm. what was that that was 
inspiring you? It was the recognition for my efforts and I think being validated. Because working in like a traditional PR scent, you the whole basis of your job is to elevate other people. There's It's a thankless task. You sit there day in, day out, come in early, you leave late to you know elevate somebody else's career and nobody says thank you nobody appreciates you really you know and that didn't work for me because um growing up with a family that gave me like a really inflated sense of self and ego i already felt i was like too good to be a junior let alone be a junior who wasn't appreciated so um it was like yeah the sense of like acknowledgement for my efforts but also being validated because it's one thing to believe steadfast that what you think is true or right but we all live in our own bubbles and like when you get out of the bubble into the real world you realize okay like i just can't have these thoughts and keep them to myself like i need to think i need to know whether it's right or wrong and so having thoughts that i thought were true or having an inflated sense of ego or like liking myself or having these aspirations and then sharing them and having people go wow yeah like double tap i like that or like i acknowledge that you're amazing you're great that stuff is like it keeps you going until you realize that it's often superficial but initially that was really important for me because i was like whoa like here i am like i know i'm great but now like the rest of the world knows too we can get used to this is there a crossroads moment when you are building an audience initially where you're putting your ideas out there people are responding to let you know that they agree is there ever a moment where you think i don't really feel this way anymore but i know that this will get some attention so i'm going to keep this dialogue going mm. even though i don't even know whether i agree with it anymore you know do you ever have that sort of that's uh contradiction in terms of what you're putting out versus what you really want but it's but you've got an audience that's growing and therefore it's, it's working. So it means that you need to keep doing what mm. you, you have been doing. Yeah, it was like pretty much a turning point. I remember like I knew that I was like more than just um, just a person on the internet when I had articles written about me. And I was like, this is so interesting to me from being having like a writing PR social media background and knowing that like things like fact checking just don't happen. <laughs> I was like, it'd be interesting to see like, you know, how you distill my social platforms into words and articles when they're just pictures and people started using phrases like you know like uh um you know optimist and positive queen and you know has this innate way of viewing the world and just things that alluded to me just being living in a bubble and thinking the world was just like a beautiful place and like nothing bad ever happened and i was happy and laughing and cheery all the time and i was like yeah and like self-love activist and you know really sort of not inflammatory in a negative way but really visceral terms that you just can't pull yourself away from and then one person said it next person said it but times 10 and then times 100 and it's because like, they're not really researching with their own opinion no. they're just reading other people's spiels and then um, and hyperbolizing yeah. them definitely and it was like on a on a journey to like radicalize self-love and it just oh my god what a projection so far out and it's like yeah those things are core to my being but I would hate for that to be because it is misconstrued it's like if you meet me i'm just quite pragmatic i'm quite a realist and i think you know being positive is not doesn't trump my realism ever and being optimistic still comes from a pragmatic place you know there's times to really understand where a situation isn't great and sometimes it is and so i was like but there's no way to denounce that part of my brand without saying oh i don't believe in good things <laughs> like somebody i 
I uh, an article was published about me the other day and someone was like oh wow I really realized there was like levels to your character and they said something like oh you know here's flex and she wears um you know the flex we see is like wears bright colors and like loves the world and the real flex is like I think about the apocalypse sometimes like there's such like this huge contrast between like what I'm projected to be through other like you know external factors and like the things I actually am interested in talking about do you think that part of people's response to you, positive response initially, was them being able to... Because I have this theory which I'm floating at the moment. I do that with theories where I road test them. in They come up in conversation naturally and then I work out whether I'm going to bake that into my life yes. philosophy. So the theory that I'm currently playing with is people only like you for how you make them feel about themselves. And maybe that is just an obvious thing, but I'm just realizing it more and more, whether it be in friendships, mm. in digital appreciations of people, our heroes who we've never met before, how they make us feel about ourselves is a reason why we're signing up for that coffee date or that movie that we love to see them in. Like, I wonder what it was about what people received from your work that made them think all these things that are there, but they're not Mm. everything I think by nature people are leeches and I think no matter how nice or warm-hearted or genuine you are you're always looking out for yourself and so that I've always thought that like people only really care about the way you made them feel because that's why you can be in a situation and the perception of the reality of what happened the perception of what went went wrong always differs and that was really sort of illuminated to me when you know I would say things verbatim that just wouldn't be taken like wouldn't be absorbed I could be like, oh my gosh, I just, I hate Taylor Swift. And everyone be like, she's so funny when she makes jokes like that. Don't do this, you know? And so I was just like, you don't, you don't see me or hear me. I'm just a projection of what you'd like me to be for you. And that's totally fine. But more recently, I've like, I, because as soon as I figured out what personality, personality typing was, I realized by nature, my personality is quite manipulative. It's not in a negative way, but I often find that it's so much easier to exist in spaces where people are a bit selfless and do and sort of do the things necessary to make it harmonious. So it's the reason why you'd walk into a room and be like, hey, where would you want to sit? Or like, do you need water or something? Or can I get you anything? That's not really in your benefit. But you know, if the person you're with is comfortable, then you're comfortable and that's manipulative. And so I've noticed through sort of like strains of like building relationships on the internet and stuff, it's like you do what's sort of necessary to make it a harmonious relationship. And that projects this idea that you start to become what somebody needs you to be, so it's better for them. And so you might give the likes and compliments because you're like, you know, that person needs that and I can do that for them. But that becomes like a cycle that's super destructive. Because I noticed about last year, I started to, to develop a group of like acquaintances, like, you know, not close friends, but friendly people who just succubuses, like just leached me for advice or, um, you know, positivity or compliments or some realism or just things and I was like what part of you makes you think that calling me at midnight to talk about you is something that I want to do you know but I will do that because you need that but it's just like we've reached this point where it's like everybody's so willing to take and take and take because we've just been given so much as a generation so why wouldn't we you know but Coming back to the point, I definitely think people only really care about how you make them feel. And it's it's just at the core. It might not be their number one motivation, but it's like you don't you don't waste time with people who don't make you feel things that are above average. You'd like to get something in return That's for that it. Engagement. It's an exchange. And I think I always talk to people about like, what's your expectation? And everyone thinks I'm quite, you know, 
uh, black and white about a lot of or things. Or transactional or something. It's, yeah, or it's, you know, quite transactional and it's not emotional. But I'm like, you have an expectation with people. Like, you expect to be respected or for your time not to be wasted or to be treated with love or whatever. Like, that's an expectation. Whether or not you are clear about that or it's just presumed, it's expected. And I think, you know, where I often went wrong or where I still go wrong is that I'm so mindful of um, the expectation my branding has has um like yeah the expectation of my brand not necessarily like me as a person on that what is it i mean many people find themselves in a situation where they have created a brand for themselves but not Mm. not really knowing how they got there or they've just been looking for clues from what people are responding to and they've built it accordingly Mm. but there is you know you're a creative person and you're a a structured person in the way that you would design a social space. Mm. So was there a process by which you went, I think that the internet needs this version of myself. There's many different parts to our pies, but if I, if I create my Instagram around this part of myself, then that's a nice offering to the, the, the wider world. Was there a decision or a choice around sharing ideas to do with color, creativity, energy? Because it's a very... It's an explosive space that I can imagine would make people feel really good when they engage with it. Mm. I guess I always had this idea that I wanted to get paid or succeed just being myself. And I started to think about what elements of myself are the almost the most tangible bits, the ones that really catch on. So it's like, you know, the most infectious part of my being was all superficial like what I was getting complimented on it's the outfits it's the looks it's the jokes it's the one-liners I'm like well that is the brand and whether or not I want it to be or not that's what I'm you know presenting or perceiving but I guess the turning point for me making a brand and and just being a person who is on the internet is that I um started to realize that I don't owe anyone anything and that I don't want to do anything out of obligation and I know for like a lot of the a lot of living is doing that and sacrifice and compromise and stuff. But if I can get by or like reduce the amount I have to do that, then I will. And so having a brand separates me from having to do things that Lil doesn't want to do. So like I can go out and and DJ and do my job, but you know Flex is only booked from twelve to two, and now it's two fifteen, and Lil's clocked on, and Lil wants to go home. <laughs> like we didn't pay for Lil to be here, we paid for Flex. And so I think it was almost like. Be like harm reduction because as soon as I realized that if I gave somebody an inch, they would take you know 14 miles, I was like, oh no, we can't do this forever because I'm already tired and I'm just like this little seedling in like the, the start of my blossom hasn't even happened yet and I'm already tired and a little bit jaded. So I needed to like start to preserve the bits of you know my career that I appreciated and liked and that was like almost giving people less access to me because it's not as though my social media platform is is really transparent it's probably too curated for the type of person i am but it's like you give people access to you and they'll just ask for more they feel entitled to you and already i'm just like you just don't know me enough to like this is all just a gift i'm giving so now you're asking for things we've come too far <laughs> interesting because i think a lot of people in trying to negotiate how to have a brand be a person <laughs> mm. have a personal brand uh, the the confusion in the term is that it is personal and therefore you will give all of yourself mm-hmm. in the way that we've been we've grown up paying attention to celebrities that we've been made to feel have given all of themselves yeah. so now that it's our own turn to do our own micro version of that i think that 
I've mentioned this a few times in the conversations when talking to people about their brands, but I was really uncertain about how to engage with social media when I felt obliged to summarize my life appropriately or accurately. And once I realized that it's a magazine and it doesn't have to be every type of magazine, as a matter of fact, niche titles do well. So telling a really specific story about, you know, and, and, and trusting that the full gamut of my being is there to be discovered and appreciated by the people I'm having real life interactions with. But as far as the social media presentation of my life goes, it can just be about the things that are the most fun and inspirational to me and a, and a projection of that that won't make me feel like I'm underrepresenting myself because I'm not showing all of myself. Mm. In terms of you understanding the the big, or having that process working in PR and realizing that it wasn't going to be the place that you were going to be, how long did it take you to realize that? Early on, but I didn't have a plan B. And off the, on the topic of harm reduction, it's like I don't make... I'm not a fan of risk, and I think it's a weird space being a creative who's identifies with being so creative but having a really logical and business mind. It wasn't feasible for me to just, like, up and go. It wasn't it wasn't happening. And so within that situation, I was like, to get close to where I need to be, I want to work in social media. So how do I change this role and make it a social media role? So I pitched it to my MD and I was like, hey, I think we're not doing enough on social, we're working for Cartoon Network and MTV. And they were like, yep, no stress. What would you do? And I was a junior and I was like, I don't know, I think we should start like scheduling and stuff. Anyway, long story short, I started doing social media for Cartoon Network. And then I was like, whoa, I've just signed myself up for 24 seven stuff and I just don't care. And I think a, a turning point for me was realizing what I cared and didn't care about. And I was like, I don't care about this, but I'm smart enough to know that I need an alternative. And so I um, quit that job, went into another job that was a little bit closer to where I wanted to be. So it's like fashion, beauty, lifestyle, social media. And I was like, mm, no, <laughs> this isn't good. But I still didn't have a plan B and I didn't know that DJing was a thing. And so long story short, I became a DJ. Should we tell that story? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think that's great because everyone will have to identify their version of that. Right. We're not all going to be able to be DJs, mm. although why not? Why not? But it, I feel, really helps to work out what your... What um, your DJ moment. Your DJ. Yeah. And your DJ moment, by that I mean fewest energetic tokens invested, most amount of energetic return by yeah. dollars. So, essentially, I was like, I need to... The reason why I was so unhappy was because I was investing so much time in something I didn't like and didn't have an alternative to keep me sane. And so I was like, what are my interests outside of work? So I just, if I'm going to work, I need to work. So that's not 30 hours, it's 60. That's not coming early, it's coming the day before. So I was like, I need to take some of that energy and invest it somewhere else. And what do I like doing? And I was like, oh, you know, I was in that stage where I was just like, I stopped drinking, but I still wanted to go out, but I needed a purpose because if you're not drinking, then what are you doing? <laughs> so I um, remember I was like, I just want to like work at a club, like be around that vibe, but get paid to be there, but not be a bartender because I didn't want to get dermatitis because their hands are always wet. <laughs> and I was like, I can be a door girl. So um, I, I had that thought, but I was like, do I really want another job? I don't really have hours in the day. And then I remember I was on Instagram and there was this club that kept liking my photos. You know, people like, like your photos to get your attention to you follow them. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And they were looking for a door girl. So I was like, hey, like synchronicity, I'd love to be a door girl. And they were like, nah, we don't need one. 
And I was like, whatever. So then fast forward, I went to a gig and one of the guys that responded was like, hey, I think you DM me about being a door girl. Didn't really know that you were into this kind of music. Thought you just wanted a quick buck, but we'd love to have you. Great. So I became a door girl. And because I'm just nosy and think that there's room to optimize most things. I was like, so are you running a business? Or are you running, like, this is a fun thing for you? Are you trying to make money? They're like, yeah, but you know, like we're just creatives and blah, blah, blah. We just want to like have a party where people, our friends can play. And I was like, so how much money do you spend on a night booking acts? And they were like, you know, X amount of dollars. And I was like, but nobody's here from nine to 11. You're spending real money for someone to play. Why don't you just play that slot? And they were like, oh yeah, no, nah, like we're not really DJs. And I was like, I'll learn. Like I'm here early. Like I don't have to start work till like 11. I could come early and learn. And they were like, oh yeah, I don't know. So my brother was a producer back in the day and I was like, hey, can you teach me how to DJ? And he was like, ah, oh, no. Like, and I was like, just show me the basics and I'll figure it out. So he showed me on some, like, on some computer software and I was like, I think I get it. Cause I'm like, I don't, I like to be taught, but I don't like when people um, over assert their authority on me. So it's like a weird balance where I was like, I got the basics. Like I need you to leave me alone. Cause also I think that if people have too much authority of how much they teach you, they start to take, like claim, you know, your success. And so I was like, I've got the basics. I was at home, you know, on just doing the thing on some software. And I was like, well, I guess I'm a DJ now because I'm doing the thing. This doesn't seem too hard. And so I went to back to the club and I was like, hey, I figured out how to DJ. You know how to use the equipment. Can you just transfer my skills to this equipment? And they were like, yeah, I guess. So it's a DJ every weekend, come a few hours early just to practice. And then I was like, I guess I'm a DJ. I could do this anyway. Like I like music and stuff. So it was interesting because at that time I was going out enough that I had developed like a bit of a reputation for just being like a party girl, but one that didn't drink. So it's like, what was your purpose? And everyone's like, do you work? And I was like, no, are you an artist? No. Are you a promoter? No. But now I was a DJ. So I moved with such purpose. I would go to events and introduce myself. Be like, yeah, I'm just a DJ. I helped you bookings at this club night and just like PR it. Cause it's like, yeah, I gave them advice on who'd book. So I helped do bookings and I, um, fiddle with some equipment so now i'm a dj and i worked in pr so i was like i know how to do this and i was like oh, great we've seen you at that event do you want to dj this one and it just just like it didn't just happen like i was actively always pitching myself i would squeeze it into every conversation not relentlessly but enough it'd be like what do you do oh, i work in pr but i also run this club night have you heard of it it's so and so oh i dj you should come sometime blah blah put you on the door whatever and so that was the big break and then what age was that 20 yeah 20 and so you know one gig became, became two and two became three and then um i was kind of like well this is great but now i need to sort of present this online because people aren't always coming to the club and so i just used to like you know over promote everything over like over enthuse how big opportunities were when they were like really quite minor i was like this is a huge thing for me and people just love to be supportive especially when they like when they're waiting for you to have your big break and i was like oh my god what a great dj and so I never realized the friends I was making in the industry were people who had significant jobs. And so when I was getting gigs, I didn't really know they were big deal. And everyone's like, whoa, you did that thing. And I was like, oh, great. So it got to about six months in and I was like, I need to maybe like get good at this because I'm, you know, DJing like 10 hours a week or something. It's significant. And I feel like I'm onto something, but I can't not be great at it. And I knew I was okay, but I kind of like to do things well. And so I started just like practicing all the time, asking, I asked the club if I could go um, on weekdays to like just practice and things. And they're like, yeah, sure. The guys who ran the party also were DJs and like, we'll teach you. And it was really great and really supportive. And I was like, well, this is really amazing because 
I was just so dumbfounded by before when I couldn't really DJ and was just talking about it a lot all the support I was getting and I could actually DJ but I was kind of comfortable with the title I wasn't really promoting myself as much and nobody really cared and I was like well it doesn't even matter that I can do this it's about how I market myself and so using that I would talk to some people in PR objectively and be like what do you look for when you book DJs and they were like oh you know we need someone who has a good social following and I was like got it you know that's what I'll do I'll get big on social media and so it was like what I need to do is right in front of me. But I think initially when you have a, a dream or an aspiration that seems too far out of your realm, you can't think of practical ways to get what you want. Everything seems, starts to be really, um, you know, unattainable. Uh, unattainable. So you're kind of like, I can never be a DJ because I need to know like a DJ and like I need to like know the club guy. And it's like, mm, no, you just need to show up. And so it was, it was all in that mindset. And I was kind of like, I'm at this point where I'm already, I'm not that great been DJing for six months I've got 10 hours of work so what if I actually got good and could pitch myself to really great venues what would that look like and so I think by like the next three months I was doing like 20 hours and this was like my thing I was like flex the DJ I was getting gigs I was like oh no I can't do it I have to like be at work tomorrow and then I was like okay like do I even want to be a DJ besides the point like you're making heaps of money and money is good and this was one of those things that kept me sane so I could still have my real job and make real life money and real life connects, but also have something to keep my mind off it. But then it got to this point where I was doing like 60 hours in the office and 30 hours DJing and I was burning out and I was really unhappy, but also had a lot of money. So like, who cares? <laughs> and I was like, okay, so um, I'm really scared of failing but not like not like failure like failing so I don't mind like you know making a mistake we love mistakes but failing mm -mm. and I was like at this rate I'm gonna burn myself out and not be good at any of my jobs because like even though I was at work like my PR job for 60 hours I was giving like 25 hours you know what I mean like I was there just thinking about gigs or like emailing people <laughs> emailing bookers or like um scheduling social content like I wasn't present and it was, it became obvious that I couldn't keep up both, but I was too smart to just let it go. So I told my boss I would go part-time. And everybody knows when you're in a corporate workspace, part-time is the beginning of the end. Everyone's like, oh, okay, we know what's happening here. <laughs> it's like in a relationship when you say, I think we should start sticking with other people. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, okay, like I get it. And so I went part-time and I was just like, no, like you need to take one risk. Like if it's just one, because it was at the point where I was, been given so many opportunities and I was like the opportunities are here I just don't can't do them because I have this this job and so if you take away the job then the, you can do the things you want to do but I was like oh, I'm just so used to having a certain income and living a certain lifestyle but it's like I wasn't really celebrating it like I was making a lot of money but I didn't take a holiday I didn't take any breaks I didn't hang out with my friends and hang out with my boyfriend didn't do anything but work and sleep and work again so I was like what if I just quit like what's the worst that could happen because I guess I was at this point where I was like being a DJ was so outlandish like who's a DJ like it's like it's not a thing you might do it as a hobby but as a real full-time job it's not a thing so I'm like I'm already doing that what's the worst that could happen like what else could I just do and fall into you know I wanted to be a psychologist and I worked in PR and I'm a DJ like the world is my oyster so I quit and then I was like oh shit like I've, this is really hard because you know it wasn't as though I just I was I needed in my head I needed to DJ as often I was as I was working in a full-time job and that wasn't feasible so I started freaking out and I was fine objectively but I was like no like this seems stressful because then you start to realize that like you people don't pay your invoices 
on time or at all and then you know some weeks people don't want to book you again because you just played last week and you know you don't really want to work from 9 p.m to 3 a.m every day that's really unhealthy and so i was like wow and can i be a dj at 30 at 35 40 like can i do those things so then i was like okay like i thought i was like this leap would be like the end of my crisis and it was just the beginning but that's how i became a dj so you know it was i don't think the risk was it, it in the grand scheme of things it wasn't a risk because i was already doing the job but to get to the job i just pitched myself because and i realized the thing the turning point was when i initially emailed those guys and said, okay i want to be a booking agent a, a door girl i wasn't thinking about what was beneficial for them i was thinking about what was beneficial for me i like this kind of music i want to do this i have hours to spare whatever but i was like who cares about me like it's all about what you can do for somebody else and so the next conversation they realized i had value because it's like no we like the same music and i can help you you know and so that turning point educated everything else because i was like well nobody cares what i want to do that's beside the point everybody cares about how what i want to do how it impacts them positively and i was like whoa that'll do it that's how i've gotten everything it's like making yourself seem really valuable so the beginning of you being available mm. to start thinking about what the next step was, mm. was taking that leap, having enough income through 30 hours a week yeah. of DJing to then, was it then having the extra hours in your week that allowed you to go, okay, I need to fill the other 40 mm. work hours in my week with something, what next? Yeah. Definitely. Because it was more so about being proactive. It's like, yeah, you have these extra hours, but they're not, they were never yours to have. You know, now you just need to allocate them elsewhere. It's more about resourcing. I was just like, now I have these extra hours. What does that look like for me? And it's like, that meant I had, you know, eight more hours in there to think proactively about what I wanted to do and what it looked like. And I didn't have that time. I had to consolidate that into 30 minutes at night before bed or something. So it's like, it opened up, you know, this pool of pro proactivity. But once I was being proactive, I was like, what? what goal am I trying to achieve here? And I get disillusioned really quickly because I'm a big picture kind of person and I like putting in the steps to achieve the big picture. But once it's attained, I'm like, great, what's next? And so I got to that great what's next part a lot, quick, a lot quicker than I should have because I was already, I already I'm thinking like 2030 in terms of like success and being a DJ in Sydney doesn't equal Oprah, Oprah coins it equals local DJ in Sydney coins. And I was like, what does this look like in 30 years? So I was kind of like, what do you do? What can you monetize? And I think I learned early on from working in PR and you know, how many sort of silly mistakes you make to work with people who have clout, like how much people will throw money at you just because they have, a, you have a perceived value. And so it's like, what about me is valuable? Like what are people, you know, latching themselves onto? And I was like, let's add a slash today. You know, I want to be a fashion blogger. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wake up. We're going to take photos of my outfit. I'm going to promote myself as a fashion blogger. Takes off. Brands start sending me clothes and stuff. Why? Because I perceived my value. But also at that point, I'm undermining every other real fashion blogger. But what is reality? Not my problem, you know? So then I was like, okay, what else is there? And I was like, I've always wanted to just talk to people, but not groups. I'm an extrovert, but I only thrive with one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like I just can't attend to everyone. Like I couldn't replicate this conversation if two other people were here. Cause it'd be like, what do you want to talk about? And what are you talking about? And so I was like, I just want to talk to people, but like, I just can't have a TV show like that's, but I was like, mm, why can't I, you know? <laughs> and so there was this moment where 
you know, somebody, MTV asked to profile me for this thing and it fell through, but I was like, hey, like I'm getting into TV presenting. So if there are any opportunities, then hit me up. And I wasn't, but who's gonna, ver- who's gonna verify that? You know what I mean? And so it was this weird kind of place of knowing that technically I could have whatever I wanted, just knowing that once I attained that, I'd need to back it up. And that's also really scary because, you know, you don't know what skills you have until you're forced to kind of learn them because, you know, your perception of your skills are always more grand than you think because you might meet a, a peer and be like, fuck, I don't know how to, how do you do that? Like, this is so crazy. I didn't think we were both doing the same thing. So I was been in this mindset of like, if I can do anything I want, What's it gonna be? Why am I doing it? And then when I actually have to action the task, do I even wanna do it? I'm so interested in the idea, because what you've described is basically a way of working that is very applicable to many different Mm. people's process, especially those who are stuck in that place where they're doing the 60 hours Mm. plus in the job that's not really floating their boat. And they're thinking about how to get out, but it's very easy to feel trapped when you don't know what the first step is because you can kind of have a glimmering idea of what step 10 is, but it's very hard to imagine how to begin the process. So at what stage did you start to actively, you know, the jobs that you described at mm-hmm. the beginning of our conversation, are you able to talk about how some of those came about? Mm-hmm. For example, you know, you so MTV, you flagged with them that you're interested in presenting. Mm-hmm. Did they literally hit you up and say, hey, there's a presenting role available? Or did you have to earn that because I mean you, you MTV loves you so much they put you on screens at town hall station mm. you know <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all <laughs> so was that something like they did someone quit and all of a sudden there was an opening mm. there well the thing so in that situation um I find it easy to pitch myself because I think that I I think that society or myself I've been capitalizing on my otherness my whole entire life. I've always found ways to market myself just because I thrive off being different and I think there's like a currency in that because as soon as you align yourself as being unique, you're not measured against anyone. So it wasn't like they didn't have another, you know, pre- presenter, DJ, writer, beauty influencer. That was just me. Like nobody else can do that role. But in that situation, essentially they put me forward uh a producer who was a freelancer had put me forward for this role. She quit and I was like, can you like, give me a contact or something? And she's like, oh, I don't know if I can pass it on. And I was like, just hand it to me. I went email until I went email. I just want to have it. I emailed and I was like, hey, just letting you know that like, I'm here if you want to do something like, and this is what I'm working on. I'm doing like DJing, presenting, blah, blah, blah. I didn't lie. These are all things that I wanted to do, but I said I was going to be working on them, which alluded to me having completed more steps than I had, but I knew that if I was given the tools, I could do them, you know? And so they had asked me to come in for coffee and they're like, so what's your big idea? And I was like, hmm? <laughs> I don't have an idea. <laughs> I just want to do the thing. And they were like, well, you know, like you're a DJ. Are you into pop culture? I was like, yeah, no, I'm in. And I knew where their train of thought was going. I was like, I know what you want. So let me be, it's like that subtle manipulation. Let me be what the situation entails. I was like, yep. Yeah talk about music and pop culture so and so and so made sure to include those references in our generic like generic chat and they were like yeah you know look like you know we don't really have external presenters we just have staff who do the presenting role and I was like yeah no problem look let's just go in for a trial and then we can see how we go the thing with that was I was still working a full-time job and it kind of dawned on me that I didn't actually have time to be a presenter because 
you know, MTV is an, an office space. They work nine to five and I work nine to five. So I was like, didn't really think that through. But by the time I got to that point, they're like, great. So like, can you do every Friday? And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, maybe from like, you know, nine to 11. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, can definitely do that. And so after that big, because I think up until that MTV situation, I was very aware that I had the skills to, you know, do whatever and be whatever and pitch whatever, but I hadn't actually tried to do it and I was like that was far too simple I just asked for it I said I wanted to do it and they gave it to me you know <laughs> and so I was like now that I've had that opportunity how does that translate into other things I actually want to do because on paper what I do for MTV is quite simple I pitch a topic I write a script I go in for an hour I record it they edit it and publish it you know but you know the perception of that is so much greater that i'm just like more of this what does that look like for me in, in other silos but again it's kind of like i was really mindful of you know being perceived as a dj does nothing for me long term I mean, what is a dj you know diplo's a dj skrillex is a dj but the guy who works at the rsl is also a dj you know and so i could milk this mtv opportunity but it's like what is a dj and a tv presenter you know what i mean they're still really vapid shallow things and anyone can really do them and my whole goal is to be paid to be myself and so how does that actuate into other things but in that instance and in every other instance after that it was because I have this objective mindset, I needed to, it was very easy for me to pull out marketable things about myself. You know what I mean? I found that, you know, in 2015 to 18, this whole thing of being social, like socially aware and conscious, like came to be. And everybody was really, really looking for like their piece of like the ethnic part. And I was like, I can be all those things. Welcome. I can be your BFF. Yes. I can be <laughs> Whatever you need, capitalize on me. And a lot of people don't want to do those things, but I'm really mindful of whether or not I give consent or not, it's happening. So I may as well profit off it. And so I started to really exaggerate the, the, the parts of my personality or brand that were marketable. So being like an African Australian, super marketable, marketable, being body positive, fashionable, having heaps of self-love, um, being you know a, a business-minded creative having different skills all marketable but i was like which one do you want said brand and which one do you want and so it like it took times of me just sitting there and going like what is even interesting about you and every time i got to a point like maybe i'm like you know super inquisitive i'm like everybody's inquisitive next like you know everybody is like positive boring everybody you know loves to like you know be adventurous boring what is it about you and so it's like i had to distill it down to like these core factors that would like set me apart and so it got to a point where i was like i need to figure out what bits of my personality were the ones that were sticky I couldn't figure it out like because I every time I it wasn't like everything I wanted I got I pitch a lot and like not get emails and returns like those things happened but it's because I didn't know what I was offering I didn't know what the person wanted from me and so I remember when I was like I want a tv show because why shouldn't I have one which is ridiculous because I was 21 like my resume was like tiny like objectively quite small didn't have any real experience like doing you know writing your own script and presenting it is one thing but being a tv presenter is another thing so i was like i don't really have anything marketable so how am i going to do this and so i was like you know what we're going back to the law of attraction we're manifesting because that's what i was doing the whole time but i think um i wasn't i didn't put too much stock in that because 
it just seemed like coincidental but I was like I don't believe in coincidences anyway so I was starting to take things out of my head and just speaking them because I knew in the past the common link between me getting the things I wanted was just saying it to someone when I wanted to when I was in PR and I wanted to work at MTV I uh, wanted to work at the PR agency of MTV I went in I was as an intern and I was like hey I really want a job I don't want an internship and so when that comes I will stay here until that comes up and if that doesn't come up that's totally fine but this is my intention gave me a job when I wanted to do social media I told them like that's where I see my career going they gave me the role when I wanted to be a DJ I said to them that's what I want to do here and so I was like whoa just gotta just gotta put it out there spit it out and somebody will latch onto it and so I remember I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in um, music management. He's like, well, you're doing like a ton of things. You're, you know, volunteering at FBI. You're working with Nike, blah, blah. This is like a bit later on, like maybe a year and a half ago. He's like, what else are you like you into? And I was like, I'm just really into like manifesting and law of attraction. And I would love to be Oprah. Like that would be incredible. And he was just like, oh, wow, I could really see you having a talk show. Like I don't really have those connections. I work in music, but I can put you in touch with someone. And I was like, yep. So he's like, let me put you in touch with Vice. And so I went into Vice and he came with me because he was kind of like, look like, you know, I don't, this is not my area, but if you need like the backbone of someone who's got a bit more experience, I can be that person. And I was like, whatever, you're offering up your time. So I went in, I met with Alice Kimberly and she's the head of strategy. And she sat me down. She's like, what's your idea? And I was like, whatever, some sort of vague idea. And she's like, okay, the problem with your idea is that you're replaceable. That concept can exist without you. In any country, in any language, in any state, it's not special. You, and she's like, she asked me to just to, like to describe myself. And I was like, I don't know, like I'm a DJ, blah, blah. She's like, no, those are your job titles. Like, describe yourself. And I was like, oh, you know, like I'm like this and this. I used those key phrases that people had said about me. So I was like, really positive and like blah, blah, blah. And she was like, boring, like so boring. And I was like, mm-hmm. And being in an environment where like, I was just being validated for everything, like reaffirmed, validated, applauded, like all those things. I was like, okay, sure, great. <laughs> so she was like, let's list down some things that you think you are and I will tell you why you're not those things. And she was like, so I listed, whatever, I listed a few things and she was like, these things are so shallow and they're the top of you. And I would be hard pressed to believe that if I called your mum and she said, hey, is Lil like positive, happy, um, uh, curious? She'd be like, I mean, I guess, you know, there's so much more to you. So like get down to the nitty gritty. Like what things are you willing to fight for? What do you care about? How do we like distill you into facts you know so it's kind of like you know we got to points like you know you're not just a dj because you're like technically yes but it's like you're this creative who exists in this space but you operate really business-minded you're an australian who identifies as an australian but is perceived as being like african what does that look like how did you grow up? So you grew up religious, but you're not. That's really interesting. So you used to drink and do drugs and you don't anymore. What is that about? And all of a sudden you had things that people could stick to and grab onto. And I was like, whoa, she's so right. Because I was looking at it on the surface. Like people like my outfits, you know? No, no, no. People like what you're representing. Like, you know, they don't really care about you because I could wear that outfit and they wouldn't like it, Lil. So like, what are you, what are you really communicating? And I was like, whoa, this is so crazy. Because she's like, what you're gonna find is you're replaceable. And the person after you will be replaced and the person after you or after that person be replaced. So what do you have that is intrinsically yours? And I was like, 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're working with something. And so then I started moving, like moving through the world with a different scope in mind. It stopped being about, I stopped presenting myself or describe myself in the way that I was perceived just as I was. And it was almost like I was, it's like I was given permission to be in a league of my own and had agency to just do whatever I wanted to because I wasn't subscribing to the norms of what a DJ wanted to do. You can't tell me how to be because I've already set up these like norms. Like I'd be the first to call myself problematic or a hypocrite or really obnoxious because I'm going to reclaim those things because I would never want that to be like the things you find out after six months of knowing me. They're on the surface so you can put them to the side and see the positives. And I was like, if I didn't have that conversation with Alice Kimberly, I would have had no idea how to sort of navigate the world today because she put into perspective what people were uh were subconsciously the like the barriers that was like were subconscious she put them into perspective she was like so you know you are interesting but you're your own worst enemy because you're um you're diluting the interest because it's too complicated people love complicated they want to know how they can like peel back the layers and see the real you you know so she's like pull out what's complicated and market it she's like don't go into a room and feel like you need to be bubbly because that's what it dictates for you Feel how you feel. You want to leave? Say it. You know, like, you're not having a great time? Sure. You're obsessed? Great. Like, all those things are amazing. And the one thing she told me, and she's like, you're going to be, she's like, once you enter this like world of media, and because I told her, I'm like, I want to get paid to be myself. And she's like, amazing. Great. But once you enter this room or this idea, you're going to enter rooms throughout your career, and they're going to be six-year-old white men who are not going to understand you at all. But what what's universal is personality and um life experience and people love to feel like they understand you and to give them that no six-year-old white man in the office is gonna be like wow i love that peplum shirt she's wearing incredible no they're gonna be like wow this is so interesting she has agency to talk about you know like culture in australia and like sexuality and religion and all these things because wow she's just so real and like market her she's like you will like nine times out of ten if not more be able to market yourself better than an idea and so she's like get people like sticky into what you do because no matter like if they like that you can do whatever you want to and i was like who is this sage i need to honestly, i need to hold have audience with her and honestly when because i was even like so it was so crazy that she would allow me to like sit and it was martin officer was the guy who put me in touch and because they were close friends she's like i've got half an hour we were there for like an hour and a half and she was just so freely giving me knowledge and i think she thought i think like you know because when you have knowledge to give you're not often asked for it so i think she's just happy to finally be able to be like oh yes this is what i do you know but i was like whoa 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 just soaking it up because it kind of like broke me down a little bit because it's all these things i was like striving so hard to make sure were like core brand messages like be positive be optimistic do the thing she's like it's so boring it doesn't even matter and she wasn't being critical she's just like mm, yeah. the way in which you describe what was sticky is such an interesting concept that word was only introduced to me six months ago as a 35 year old mm. can you imagine i thought i was somewhat media savvy but the notion of <laughs> yeah the notion of being sticky is everything to me now where did you learn that and how does that how did you come to use that concept because i feel like it's a crucial oh yeah i feel like the smart you know like the people who use the word are the smartest people in the room because i'm like what do you mean sticky but um it was alice 
Alice said the phrase sticky and I think it was in the co the context of she was saying that like you know the way the internet works you might see something and not register where you saw it or register where you saw it but not really register the person or not know their name and she's like the things that you know you can recall afterwards like the things that you recall from ads or tv those things are sticky and sticky is genuine sticky is real sticky is hard to fake sticky is just like it's not even the perception it just is nobody will like misconstrue what that is and she was like people figure out sticky afterwards because you go through the motions of being everything but and i was like Woof. so where to now is being australia's oprah because I don't doubt that you would be that really well. Is that still your end game? I think I use the phrase being Oprah because it's transcended so much more than just replicating her career. It's what she stands for. I mean, like Oprah could do anything and it's of Oprah's nature. You don't question it. You don't critique it. It just is. And she's managed to create this career of just being herself. Now she could tell people, she's been telling other people's stories for her whole career. Yet we hold her to such high esteem just because she's been so... Um, honest and so giving with just herself but you never take too much you don't ask for too much you know it's just she is and I think it's incredible but my I think my goal at the moment is to keep on remembering that I don't have to be everything for everyone and there's room to just do whatever I want it's like being steadfast in the fact that being paid to be myself is the goal but also allowing myself to move with with my journey because I think you know not like destiny is like whatever but i think there are steps in you're always taking like forward momentum steps to something and i think often you just let life drag you left and right just because like that's where you had to go for that you felt obligated to go here but i'm just trying to follow the natural process you know like saying yes to things that feel right not because they might you know be have the most clout associated or they might have like the best people involved i just need to be a little bit more intuitive because up to my life now I could never have predicted it and every moment in which I was led onto the path of you know more success it was because I allowed myself to just like go with the tide a little bit it's really interesting but I think a lot of the a lot of what I'm trying to do is to figure out like how my brand evolves number one off social media and off Instagram because I think as as great as it is and as much as it propels your message and stuff it is very one-dimensional and it's very stifling and the moment people decide that Instagram isn't on vogue anymore it's dead and then where does that audience go and how do you tra transition them and all those things and so I'm just trying to figure out like what what who I am and what that brand looks like off the internet and how to reach people off the internet and what genuine connections I'm trying to make because remember the other day I went to a meeting with a publisher because I'm like I want to write a book <laughs> and um I was just like it's so funny because there are very few things I could talk about at length and not get bored and I'm like why aren't those things clear in my branding like I could talk about manifesting all day I could talk about law of attraction talk about human nature talk about the apocalypse all day i could talk about like can we start can we have like six yeah. like six offshoot podcasts <laughs> where we talk about each of those things all very near and dear to my heart honestly i could talk about utopian societies dystopian societies i could talk about um sort of like astrology and birth charting and where that intersects and if it's legitimate i could talk about you know things like that i'm trying to like these are things that i would like love to challenge because i think the issue with me and sort of where i exist as like 
whatever a personality something in entertainment is that i'm not challenged at all or i'm not encouraged to grow and that was a big part of why i liked liked being in a structured work environment because you always knew there was a step up and i find that being your own boss or being an entertainer it's kind of like what you do is fine just keep doing you and nobody's pushing you to elevate nobody cares what that looks like it's just fine and that's so terrible because i hate to celebrate mediocrity and i think because I'm in a situation where I'm not benchmarked against anyone, nobody's here to remind me that there is still more to more to achieve. And so I'm so scared of getting stifled in this sort of like sea of mediocrity where you just do what you want to do and nobody questions you and nobody asks any, you know, things like that. So I'm trying to think about how to sort of challenge myself to be that person for myself, you know, like to speak up when things aren't right or to offer my opinion on certain things or to not be so complacent because you know for any intents and purposes it might look like I'm a very proactive person but I've only had spikes of proactivity that have led me in this really great direction complacency is like I'm crippled by because I'm kind of like I'm doing okay like I don't need to like rock the boat like I don't need to like ask the tough questions but it's like yeah because that's fine at 23 but you're gonna not ask the tough questions at 35 or 45 or 56 like you need to elevate yourself before somebody tells you it's time and that's always tricky because you're kind of like oh life is hard enough like did you you've you got great scope for the long game has mm-hmm. that always been there since you know baby flex yeah i've always see the long game has always been my intention but it's always been the the like end destination has never been clear to me but i always knew that like living for now is a trap because like now is so ever changing and now is crippling and now is now is just like it's so like um it's so insular and it's like it doesn't take into consideration that like you're here by chance in this spot in this time with this people like by chance and so if you're aspiring to just like you know further this thing like what is the point because you're not here because you want to be here it's kind of like you were just dropped here in like a blip and now you just hang out and do the thing and that's crazy because it's kind of like who people are always waiting for someone to remind them they have agency over their future and that's not like any spooky like yeah i'm the master of your own destiny but like you really can do what you want to because i think it takes a while to figure out that nobody cares about you as much as you care about you and so but like on the contrary you spend a lot of your life trying to please other people and like they just don't care (laughs) that's really alarming as well so it's kind of like oh no i I won't travel because like gotta like you know my boyfriend can't come and i won't see him for three months and blah blah or like you know i can't uh, i'm gonna be late on rent and like who cares like my boss will be mad if i take that much time and you know it's just like we're working on a campaign if i'm not here chrissy has to do it and it's just like it doesn't matter because it will be done like everybody is so replaceable and i'm like i've i think about maybe a year ago i started working to this philosophy that like you're the most important person in the world but also the least important because like you are allowed to think you uh have this huge ego and and you're amazing and um you have all these skills and things to offer in your head but outside of this world you live in you don't matter like someone in sweden doesn't know who you are and often doesn't care and so like you need to just be mindful of the fact that you can exist and be great and and stuff like that but also work towards your own like your own notions of greatness because aspiring to what somebody else has done doesn't even matter because nobody cares. This philosophy is so, it resonates with what I think Mm. sounds right. And 
life experience has taught me those things along the way. Mm-hmm. Is that, like you, you mentioned, like a religious upbringing that doesn't hold any water for you anymore. Yeah. Like, did the, did the questioning of philosophy come through a framework of understanding religion to then abandon it and work out, well, if not that, then what do I believe? Yeah, I think I, I just remember used to like ask a lot of questions as a child and not get a lot of answers back. <laughs> what what, uh, what faith was it? Uh, Christian. Right. And so I'd just be like, so like just little things because obviously I um there's I think there's a better way to do most things. I think we Optimize. just yeah we're always optimizing. And I was just like, so why do we go every Sunday? Like why not every second Sunday? Like where is the like where is the value in that or. And so, you know, if you have a destiny, why do you try and do anything? Or why are you stressing about going to a job you hate if you're going to go to heaven and live eternally in a great place? Like, why wouldn't you just kill yourself? Or, like, these things were just, like, you don't, like, you can't give me any logical answers. Or, like, you're too young to understand. Or, like, it's so much greater than that. And, you know, I'm so fueled by logic that if something doesn't make sense to me, I just can't, like, get across it. And it's just, like, you know, what's to say? Like, you know, and religion, like, I'm a big fan of it generally when you take away the aspect i'm i prefer spirituality because i think there's a lot of value to that and you know you need something to keep you centered and whatever but you know speaking to like let's say my mom who's christian i'm like well let's say this is rooted in the same concept or the same theology as islam why don't you identify as being islamic couldn't you just transfer and do that and she's like well no and i'm like but why not and she's like why are you asking and i was like okay or like for instance if my like if my great grandma would say something you know really homophobic i'd be like well why do you think that and she'd be like well why are you gay and i'd be like well no but why do you think that and she's like it doesn't matter it's just how it is and it's just like these things didn't make sense and i was so mindful of the fact that it just didn't matter that it didn't make sense to me so i didn't have to subscribe to them and that kind of like i guess like i don't know it gave me this kind of it was like a revelation almost because i'm like if the people that i think are the smartest people in the world people i admire can't give me a simple answer to something they like live their life by then like i'm on my own like this is so spooky to me and i think it i i don't know it it made me feel like in some ways that i was just like really alone but not in a sad way in a way that just like you are so like what you want to do is your problem and who you do or don't want to be is so your problem because like if the people that you trust the most can't give you any validation or can't, you know, give you substance as to why you should believe something, then it doesn't even matter, you know? But Everything's I think up for grabs. Everything's up for grabs. You know, I could believe anything or go anywhere and it doesn't matter because, like, that will become the new normal. And I think a big part of, like, you know, being the most important but the least important is, you know, coming to the conclusion that nobody sees you for you is really crazy to me and often really sad because it's like... But it manifests itself in such crazy ways. Like, you know, like, let's say you posted something on social media that was, like, really important to you. And you're like, whoa, huge opportunity. I love this. And, like, zero engagement. Like, nobody cares. And you're like, okay, that's fine. You might post something that was, like, throwaway and everybody's, like, you know, pining over you. I'm like, this is, like, so reflective of the way the world is. Because it's, like, nobody wants the drama of, like, what it takes to care about things a lot or to care about things that don't necessarily affect them. They're in an it's, elevator. They've got 30 yeah. seconds. They haven't got time to think of... Do you know what? People use Instagram as a mode of escape. Yeah. And it's usually on the toilet, on the train, on you know, in a mo- at their desk, mm. wanting to procrastinate. Unless you are serving something that satisfies them, the reason why they've active- turned their phone on in the first place, mm. which is usually... Give me an endorphin release yeah. to remind me that I'm not in, and, and remind me that I'm not alone in the world. Mm. If you give them that, 
they're happy. They'll double That's tap. It. You know, if you propose something that requires even as much value as it might one day hold for them, not the reason why they mm. turned up, they're not into it. It's too much. And so imagine running your whole life by that logic. Like, let me do something that's going to appease this small microcosm of people. It's so crazy because they will leave you high and dry. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's by that logic. I'm like, you know, I think everybody's in it alone and you have people who will help you along the way. But it's like, no, in the same way that people don't see me for me, I'm not communicating, I'm not communicating me as me. You know, there are so many situations where I would bite my tongue or choose the easy way out or not say how I feel or not, 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 not know how, how to articulate what I mean. And all those things are the reason why people will perceive me a certain way or not. And so, you know, we are the reason why life is this way. I get it. But also, like, the quicker you figure that out, the better off you are. We could just continue this conversation, like... <laughs> All night long. I'd love to, even though I just feel like, you know, maybe we can have a part two where I can go away, listen to this conversation, <laughs> write the notes about the things that I need to talk, to, more, yeah. talk to you more about. But I'd, I'd love to ask people, if I was to bump into you in a year's time mm. and you were to have nailed a project that is currently just a glimmer in your eye, mm. what would that be? Well, I would be in a loft apartment in London living. I would have just published a book. It would be like a like a special snowflakes guide to excellence like how a really superficial narcissistic 20 something 30 something can get by in the world thinking they're amazing but subjectively knowing they're not and what that looks like and how to still think you're worthy of greatness knowing you're just like a common person and i'd be speaking to people you know maybe like every week about it and ways in which they can sort of adopt this philosophy it's like not a teaching or anything just a way of living but another way for me to just communicate these things i hold so true because i think that you know i could tell my friends this day in day out and it's still like they still wouldn't absorb it and i think like i'm not a humanitarian but i think if people worked on themselves like i work on myself we'd all just be better <laughs> you know like i just think there's like um um like a sort of there's not enough self-evaluation happening. Like that kind of stops after high school. And I think that's the downfall of, of us as people. You know, we're so busy critiquing other people that we forget to just be like, oh, maybe we're like a little bit like problematic. Or like maybe we need to work on a few things. And nobody wants to do that because it's just far too hard. Like where do you begin? Where do, where do you begin? How did you begin that process? Is it through journaling or meditating? or where did, What allowed you to take stock of what was so that then you can work out what needs to improve? Mm, I think it was when I was like about 19 and I was going on like a lot of real job interviews because I was like studying PR but I wanted to leave but I was like, I don't know what, to, what, I, want, what, I, want, what I want to do. And I was Googling a lot of um, interview tips and they were like, you need to know your strengths and weaknesses. And I was like writing them down and could not come up with any weaknesses. I was like, what are they? I could like flip them all like you know big picture person but that's good for long-term planning you know or like yes I'm not so um I didn't have the best time management but you know that's not a problem because other people do and like we need to work harmoniously as a group it's fine <laughs> and so I was like but this can't be right and so I remember like I was like maybe I'll go to a library and like really like get out of my normal environment and just sit down and really think about things that could be, be perceived as weaknesses and could be detrimental to a job because I just really couldn't come up with any 
any of that could like would really matter in like a working environment you know and so I remember I was like walking down the aisles of the library and I was in like this self-help section and there was this book on personality typing and I didn't know what that was about but I was like look I've got some time to spare let me borrow a book and I read it and I found out my personality type and it listed out all my strengths and weaknesses and I was like whoa this is really interesting. No, the book was called How to Understand People by Understanding Yourself. And this was when I just came out of high school and I was quite, quite popular in high school, but I was definitely a floater. Like I didn't identify with any, any um, sort of subgroups. I did everything. I did dance and athletic and theater and whatever. And I was like, well, this is so interesting because yeah, I just feel like I get people, but I'm also like judging them on standards that I have for myself, which means I don't really understand people. So I read this book back to front and I was like, whoa there's this whole world and it sort of opened my eyes to perception and that you know you spend all this time trying to work on being perceived a certain way and it doesn't matter because perception is out of your hands you know like it's the same reason why i could say something nasty and everyone thinks i'm joking because they're perceiving me a certain way it doesn't matter or i could say something quite sort of like sad and sullen and everyone be like She's so funny. Sure. This is a tricky thing because I think people, as long as much as the internet's been around, everyone still operates in a space where it's temporary. Like when Instagram disappears, when Facebook disappears, it'll always be there in some capacity. And I think we're not learning quick enough how to manage what that looks like. You know, people are so concerned with like, you know, I know people who, you know, might have 20,000 followers on Instagram and not say they have a brand, which is fine. But how are we transitioning like, real 3d world into this two-dimensional or one-dimensional space like how are we encouraging discourse that isn't always so inflammatory how are we allowed like what platforms do we have to just like, talk about nothing you know like you can't even put a picture on facebook and everyone, everyone going oh what's that for changing your profile picture why like what do you need to do that for you know or like why are you making a status about that or like wow you're always talking you know what i mean like everything's also always questioned and critiqued and so it's like you know we're just stifling ourselves and we should be like figuring out tools or even creating guidelines for how to even use the internet. We're all just like free falling and floundering and just trying to figure it out. And like, that's gonna be our main method of communication. Yeah, and well, what we're witnessing now is all the cards haven't been thrown up in the air and they the chips will fall, you know, as they may. Mm. But those who are gonna be controlling tomorrow are the ones who are, you know, grabbing them as they land yeah. and arranging them in the order that suits them. And I just hope that it's just not advertising that is the bottom line for everything which yeah. by the looks of things the way it currently stands is it's all just an excuse for ad space yeah the blessing and the curse of we get free content but ultimately everything that we look at becomes a billboard eventually yeah and i think there's also a question on who's an authority because i think outside of the internet you you know, like teachers or adults or you know yeah. professors journalists once upon a time had what? to be you know had to be accountable and now you don't need to be accountable. It's almost like slandering someone enough that by the time it, even if it did end up in court and it was disproven, the damage is already done. The world that we live in right now mm -hmm. is, you know, you can ultimately, if you get enough buzz around yeah. something, you can destroy someone. Easy. With enough buzz, you can do whatever you want. And that is amazing if you're using it positively or for your own benefit. But the flip side of that is that anything just goes. And it's very scary because mm. like what, what is going to like, it's the same way I think about, you know, people who are like currently making like millions of dollars on social platforms are doing that because they've just been around the longest. They were, they were online in 2012, Instagram, before people started recognizing its potential. Yeah. And so it's kind of They got like, in when that sweet, sweet algorithm was happening. 
So is that is that how it's going to work? Like first in, first served. Yeah, when's we, the next platform coming up so we can like monopolize mm, that? Well, we try with Vero, and then everyone. <laughs> and as Kendall Jenner's um, slandering of uh, Snapchat has shown us, no one holds all the cards forever. Exactly. I thought that that's what Jen. Well, like, we we low, are we lower than Z now. It's like basically, you yeah. Know, you know, I thought that's what Z was going to be leading with mm. Snapchat as being the thing, and I was like, well, I missed the boat on that one. Maybe mm. I can try the next one. Yeah. yeah, who knows? But it's I don't know. It's super scary, but it's also very like you know life affirming because if the standards of greatness are so low, then there's no excuse. <laughs> oh man, this has been so meaty. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I, I'm going to have to just turn this into a multi-episode discourse. You'll have to. Because this is too much. Why are you doing a podcast instead of doing a, like a film a thing? A videographic thing? Yeah. I know that I will... I know that that's the next step for mm-hmm. me. The podcast needed to happen because I kept on having conversations with friends. I mean, every single person I've interviewed, I know. Mm. And I'm like 20 episodes in. It's the most interesting people in Australia as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And I wanted low stakes for yeah. them. I didn't want them to feel like they had to like look good. And I also love the fact that we were doing it all around town. Mm. Oftentimes, the fact that, you know, we're recording this on my phone because I couldn't be bothered setting up my other equipment. Mm. And generally, when I'm catching up with people, we're replicating the actual conversation. I mean, you and I had this conversation while doing a two-hour trip to meet a documentary subject Mm. in a condensed version that made me go, oh, we need to record this. Like, I fall into this conversation anyway. Mm. And so... That for me was a low, was a low hanging fruit for something that would allow me to work out what my message is because I feel like for any, for what I want what I what I think is the case for a lot of the people that I'm hoping to inspire with this is the thing that comes most naturally to you the thing that other people are responding to just by you turning up yeah. is the essence of is your brand that's yeah. like that's and and I mean brand it sounds tacky but I when I say brand I mean message mm. the essence of your message is probably happening anyway you just need to put a frame around it or give it some context through this podcast i've really streamlined yeah there is actually a process that you can follow that connects your passion like what you love with what you do Mm. and that to me is the is there's something in that for me too yeah and i think that you know combining combining what i love for myself to then work with people that i also really admire who are really interesting in their own universe mm. like I, I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker then I realized being on set's actually a bore you know <laughs> like uh, you know I, I love that realization yeah <laughs> I want to be left to my own devices mm. more often than not but if I have to be in contact with other people mm. I want them to be friends or people that I really am turned on by yeah. because the problem with making film is it's so collaborative you have to be okay with the fact that like it's such a huge team you're energetically engaged with a lot of people that you might not necessarily want to be yeah, around sure. so I, I for me a happy time is being able to energetically control the space that i'm in as a control freak but also someone that believes that if i'm driving the bus everyone's going to be having a nice time come through it's true yes like you know i if i'm hosting the party you better believe you're going to be really happy to be there yeah and so if i'm if i'm the producer or if i'm the director or if i'm the person who is in charge of the circumstance I know that I will midwife other creatives through a process of giving work and creating work that they are really turned on and, inspi- mm. and inspired by. So to have, you know, what I'm currently deeming like a creativity wellness based media empire mm. of my own that allows me to facilitate beautiful work with people that I'm turned on by myself, mm. then that to me is a good time. So just finding, growing my collateral so I can 
facilitate bigger bigger and bigger projects for other people. Yeah. That's my end game, I think. We already do, in it? I think I'm doing it in a small scale. Yeah. And I think, I think if you check Scaling in, is the hardest scaling thing, is hard. though. But also, I think if you check in with me in one year's time and in five years' time and in ten years' time, you will witness a cont- an evolutionary process of me doing that basically in on bigger projects mm. but also then facilitate but then also facilitating an outward expression of my of my own mm. where i'm able to like give myself more and more time to sit in a cafe in argentina and write that book that was a huge game changer for me when i met like martin who was like you should think about scaling and i was like what do you mean and he was just like you have a ceiling doing djing like what you can't you're gonna dj 40 hours a week for the rest of your life no and people won't keep paying you more and more money to do the same jobs so he was like how do you work less and make more money what does that look like he's like how do you have things that work for you you don't work for them and so it's like well, if you want to be a writer you're working for something if you want to work in tv you're working for something if you want to run a production house someone's working for you if you want to sell a book or sell a series yeah then someone's working for you and i was like whoa and that changed my output on everything as well because in order to scale you need to do the task first but yes. you never know what's gonna how quickly something will scale for you and how much you need to like elevate it yourself because I mean there are only so many hours in the day so knowing that you want to be in this place where you can be I think as a director who's done every single job on set Mm. bar maybe sound recording and it shows (laughs) um, but you know I've done I've been a part of every single department which which is how I spent my 20s from like the guy that turns the urn on before anyone gets to set to the, the assistant of the director who is part of every single meeting with mm. the most important person on set to being the director mm. i know now when i'm asking someone to design something for me or build something for me or bring their skills to the table as a cinematographer or a costume designer mm. having done it i can at least engage in a discourse around how how i would love to facilitate them doing them it's best. so invaluable so you know it definitely makes sense to do it all first yourself to a degree enough yeah. just to be top line to understand then how you grow what does your does your Oprah moment look like the similar sort of content that you're now creating for yourself in your own space but just with a bigger team in a bigger way my Oprah moment is global validation and I don't know what that looks like because I just don't know what the whole world cares about (laughs) and I think like you know my whole worry with just currently like let's say with my career now it's so like um so Sydney centric, you know what I mean? And my issue with scaling is also having transferable, not even skills, but transferable accolades. So let's say I'm like, oh, you know, I DJed every major festival in Australia. That doesn't mean anything to people in the UK or America. And so it's like, well then, you know, not like what's the point, but like the Australian market is as it has been and will continue to be because we just don't have the population size to move it anywhere quicker. And so, no, I can't take Carl Stefanovic's job. No, I can't take Fitzy Whipper's job. No, I can't take, you know, like doc, whoever. Like those roles are theirs to keep. And so I need to go to a different audience. But it's like, you know, if you go to the UK, what key things are transferable when it comes to the things I've done with my career? MTV like is that it and so then it's like whoa needs to like build a whole new resume and that's like the super scary bit because it's like you don't want to negate everything you've done so far but it's really hard to number one make good content make content you like make content that you can monetize (laughs) have time for yourself not work so hard but also take these things and use them to their full capacity and you start to realize things that had placed heaps of value on are almost 
not unimportant, but aren't as important as I thought they were going to be. So now it's like, what's that look like? So yeah, my Oprah moment is global validation, but I just don't know how much. And I think like the pragmatic part of me is like, there is no one thing that people are going to love you for universally. It's just impossible. Hence why I do five things because if you know 20% of my audience comes here 40% comes from that and 20% from here that's amazing you know and then holistically that's global we've done the job mm. but you just don't know what's sticky until you have recognition from people outside of your circle and every like Sydney and Australia there's just like this championship for mediocrity because tall poppy sh like syndrome doesn't go away it's not going anywhere so it's kind of like do well but don't do too much like be great, but only within these parameters. Be our version of great. Be yeah. our great. Don't be like, don't, if you're like London's great, mm. then you're already, you know. Although if you do go over and be London's great or even London's mediocre and come back to Australia, we will love you for it. Exactly. But there's this idea that you need to be great within certain parameters that have been done before. And that's not the business I'm in. Like, we're creating new jobs and new goals as we go, you know. So, that it kind of leaves me a bit uncertain because I thought like my trajectory was so clear before and now I'm like whoa it's just the things you know you it's really interesting the things you're like really validated for and the things you don't really try hard to do at all yeah it's really interesting yeah to me. absolutely that's what's given me that I think there's a lot of it's really worth taking stock of the things that you it's like the 80 20 rule you know mm. it's it's it takes stock of the things that you have to put the least amount of effort in that give you the biggest return yeah that is tricky because the most the thing that takes least effort and has the most validation is just me um talking to people yeah and giving them insight yeah. but it's like you can't have this conversation more than once a day no totally and, it, and you know you'd have to the scalability of that is challenging mm -hmm. but actually but having this conversation even once a day and if it was taped in a way that would allow people to benefit from it you know yeah yeah there's something in that I feel like we need to wrap this up because I want to take this conversation offline with you talking mm. about what we can do separately. So podcast <laughs> closed, but I'm going to keep recording it because just in case we come up with something that I need yeah. to rem remind myself of, but just as a, as a form of satisfying the end of this podcast, thank you so much for being everything and more that I was hoping this conversation could be My pleasure. your insights. Genius. If you're someone who thinks that they might like to quit their day job or is looking to get proactive in turning what they love into what they do, or is simply looking to find out what they love in the first place, let's talk. For this podcast, I want to put together a series of episodes called Quit Your Day Job Intervention, in which I chat to you about wherever you're at in your journey. If this could be you, drop me a line via Instagram direct message or Facebook. Until next time, I'm Dan Brophy. Thank you for listening.